scripture we've been looking at the past few weeks comes from Jesus' interpretation of the parable of the sower. In the fourth chapter of Mark, verse 19, he says, But the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word of God, making it unfruitful. And for this morning, uh, we come to the words likely of Solomon in Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, verses 10 and 11. He says this, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. I took delight in all the work that I had done, and this is the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all the work of my hands and all that I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. The legend goes that years and years ago in a country far away, when the king of Siam wanted to deal with his internal enemies, he dealt with them by sending them a special gift. A gift from the king so rare and precious that they could not refuse to take care of the gift. And yet a gift so demanding that they would exhaust all of their resources caring for this gift from the king. He would send his enemies a white elephant. And that white elephant would eat them out of house and home and eventually lead to the the destruction of his internal enemies. Uh, we, of course, have come in recent years to have our own version of white elephants. And you'll know that often people get together at a party and they'll bring something that really has no use or value for them anymore. So they're going to try to dump it on your household. And we call that a white elephant gift. This morning, I want to talk to you and with you about possessions. And I want to suggest that in many ways, possessions are today's white elephants. They come to us or we grab them, either one, and then they begin to take hold of our life. Another story that might best uh, describe possessions in our life is the old story of the Trojan horse that uh, is snuck in uh, to the city. And then at night, uh, soldiers come out of the horse and it begins to take over the lives of the people who live there. In many ways... I believe it can be said that we do not own our possessions. They come to own us. Uh, My friends know that one of my uh, talents and gifts is I'm very good at eavesdropping. And so a few years ago, I remember sitting at a table at lunch by myself, uh, listening to a conversation two tables over. And one of the uh, men said to the other one, he said, I don't own my house anymore. It owns me. And he began to lament everything that it was taking to keep that house going. I'm not sure that we own our possessions anymore. In many ways, I I think our possessions come to own us in this life. And if I were to uh, give you two words to sum up the sermon this morning, they wouldn't even be from Scripture. It would simply be this, buyer beware. Buyer beware, when you think about adding a possession to your household, you need to understand that that possession is not just in the asset column. That possession goes in the liability column as well. Our possessions often 
become liabilities. Look at our houses. Look, we get a house, and it's such a monumental moment in our life when we come to our, our first house, and then there's the mortgage payment and the utilities and the insurance and inevitably the repairs. Our house comes to take possession of us. We no longer possess the house. And our automobiles aren't much better. We get our automobiles and and we put gas in them and and a week later it's gone. And we need more. I spent 40 minutes this week at the tax office uh, waiting in line to get a registration sticker for my son's automobile. My time was not my own. It was owned by my car. And then inevitably, I mean, I've driven and I've had two teenage boys drive before it. A wreck is coming. It's coming. Our cars come become not just an asset. They become a liability. The same way, it's true really for most of the stuff we have around our house. Eventually, it becomes an albatross around our neck. And we've got to find some place to put it and something to do with it. Do you know that in 2005 that the storage business in the United States was a $12 billion a year business. People didn't have enough room for their stuff. And so while they wanted to keep owning their stuff, the only thing they could do was to pay more money to own the stuff by renting a place to put it. We don't own, in many ways, our possessions. They start to own us, and they become liabilities. They might even take a toll on our health. A number of years ago, PBS ran a special called Affluenza, and it looked at the effect of all of our possessions on us as Americans. It looked at studies. It it interviewed people. And the amazing conclusion was these inanimate objects, these things that we come to own, actually take a drain and toil, a toll on our physical life. They actually affect our biological health. They don't live. They don't breathe. And yet they have an amazing ability to start to suck us dry. They might even, suggested the PBS show, make us ill. Affluenza. I thought about that when uh, we were studying years ago Pompeii. Did you ever in school study Pompeii? You learned a lot about Roman civilization because Mount Vesuvius exploded in, in 79 AD and, and rained down uh, on Pompeii. So a lot of Pompeii was actually preserved. They found life as it was in 79 A.D., and one of the women they found in the remains was found clutching her jewelry in her death. I don't know that she could have escaped, but do you think she went back to get it? Our possessions come to take ownership of us. And as we talked about with money last week, they don't even last. I mean, first of all, they don't even last during our earthly lifetime. A friend of mine went to a grand opening dedication of a beautiful new church, and it is a lovely church in another state. I've seen the pictures. And he said he got there a few minutes early, you know, wanting to make sure he got a good seat, and, and they're handing out uh, brochures. They've got a, it's a beautiful day. They've got uh, hundreds of chairs set up outside. So as he got there early, starts to look around, he sees two plumbing trucks hauling around the corner, screeching to a halt in the back, and they're running out. The commodes have already stopped up building hadn't even been dedicated and it's already starting to break down and even if it lasts as we discovered last week we can't take it with us we can't take the house we can't take the car we can't take the trophy 
it simply doesn't go. Remember Randy Alcorn's book we read together last year? And uh, Alcorn um, uh, talked about uh, people who travel. And he said, if you were traveling and spending a week in a Motel 6, would you pay your own money to refurbish it? To put in a larger TV? Or to put in um, a a larger bed with a better mattress? Of course not, because you're not going to be there very long at all. And yet, he says, our existence on earth is so temporary compared to the eternal scheme of things, and we invest all of this effort and time and money in our Motel 6 that is our earthly life, when it's not going with us when we leave. And he suggests maybe we think about longer-term sorts of investment. We have a lot of assets in our life. But maybe we need to begin to see they have a liability side, not just for us, but this is what really bothers me. My assets aren't just a liability for me, they're a liability for other people. I realize that because I have things, other people don't have things. Because I've invested in these things, I have not invested in giving them what they could have and what they need. Years ago, a philanthropist in New Jersey died. He had, during his lifetime, given away $600 million. And they asked him for a secret, and this is what he said. He lived a very simple lifestyle, and his response was, Look, nobody can wear two pairs of shoes at the same time. He had learned, despite his vast wealth, to live on just what he needed. And the rest, it went to somebody else who had need. I was having lunch with some friends the other day, and they told me a story. Apparently, it's been a Reader's Digest, and, and I think it's been another place. I, I hadn't heard it. You may have heard it. 15-year-old girl in Atlanta, um, uh, riding with her parents, comes to a stop sign in a street corner. Homeless man on the corner, Mercedes, luxury automobile on the other corner. And she starts to look back and forth and do the math, and she said, you know, if they drove a less expensive automobile, they could take care of 100 homeless men. And she begins to work on her parents about taking care of those in need and about what they do because they have a very nice home. I think they're in Buckhead. It's a very nice section of Atlanta, uh, worth a lot of money. And, and they say to her, finally, look, what do you want us to do, sell the house? Yeah, that's what she wants. Well, they begin to work through it. And they sell and they downsize. They don't give it all away. They still leave a, live a comfortable life. But with what? they sold with what they made they started a foundation and they're helping homeless people all over the place and when i hear that story i realize the stuff that i have in my house which you could come see today if you could get through the gate i have that stuff and because i have that stuff there are other people who do not have the basic necessities That's a huge problem with possessions. Gandhi wasn't a Christian, but he saw this. Gandhi said there's enough in the world for everyone's need, but there's not enough for everyone's greed. We can't have everything we see. We can't have everything we want. Solomon tried it, and he came to write about it and said it doesn't work. I refused my heart no pleasure. Everything my eyes desired, I took And what did I find? It was meaningless, said Solomon. It was meaningless. He just, he tried to tell us. Almost 3,000 years ago, he tried to tell us, don't go there. 
But I go there. I went. And it's bad enough what it does to me. But it's worse because of what it does to others. Jesus said the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things will choke the word of God in your life. And God's word is calling me to be more giving. God's word is calling me to be more generous. And God's word is calling me to be joyful. But I find that word just gets stuffed by all of my stuff. Well, what do you do? Well, I suppose you can just give it all away. I mean, I, a few did. St. Francis, I guess. But I'm not sure that's God's call. I mean, you could do it. Read about a woman. You probably read about her. On her 55th birthday, she invited uh, her friends over to her house for a party. And she said, but I don't want you to bring any gifts. Instead, you have to take something out of my house when you leave. Just going to get rid of some of her stuff. And maybe that's the deal. I don't know. But, but I tend to think it's more on the front end. Not so much giving it all away now, but giving more up front so I don't even come to own quite as much stuff. To give now, as opposed to giving it away later. If I gave more generously, I'd have a little bit less for all the stuff that's just going to drag me down anyway. Theodore Roosevelt Malott wrote a book last year called On Being Generous, and he cited a number of studies uh, from all over the United States, they, and they all have exactly the same conclusion. People who are generous live longer, healthier, happier lives. It's a win-win. You give, people are blessed, you're blessed, the kingdom of God moves forward. But that's a hard thing to do, and I know it, because I hear the call. I hear the call that says, life's uncertain. Grab hold of what you got. Things are erupting. Reach for your jewelry. I hear that. But over and over again, from Solomon through the prophets to Jesus, we're all warned that don't listen to that call. It simply doesn't work. Possessions cannot get you what God has for you in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, you have the inheritance of everything. Everything that's his is yours. It comes to you. You don't need to clutch. And you don't need to hoard. You don't need to hold. It doesn't work anyway. Many years ago, when I was growing up, I, we used to gather around the TV and watch Alfred Hitchcock. And there was an Alfred Hitchcock. I've told you about it before because I still remember it to this day episode. About a woman who's in, in, a, in a women's prison. And uh, she makes a deal uh, with a man that works at the prison. His job is when somebody dies, he puts them in a coffin, takes them out, and buries them. So she makes a deal and says, look, next time somebody dies, ring this bell. And when I hear it, as soon as I can and I'm out of my cell, I will make it down to the basement where you work, and I'll climb in the coffin that's there. I'll get on top of the body. You take me out. When we're outside, just open it. Let me go. And they made a deal. Wasn't very much longer, and she heard the bell ring. She made her way in the dark, mind you, down to the basement, found the coffin, body felt around, body inside, hopped on top of the body. Sure enough, it worked like a charm. Soon she felt herself being carried out. Outside, 
the building, outside the gates of the prison to where they buried the prisoners. And she heard the digging. And then she felt the coffin go into the hole and then dirt coming on top. It wasn't supposed to work like that. So she had to see what was going on. So she had a match on her. She struck a match inside the coffin, looked around. And, of course, the body in the coffin that she was on top of was the gravedigger himself who had died in the night. The one she had counted on to deliver her could not deliver her. And hundreds of times over every day that gets played out in our life as we look to our money and our possessions to save us, only to light the match one day and find out they couldn't do it. They couldn't then. They can't now. They never will. Some of you know that uh, David Reed and Clarence Bray and I spent uh, three weeks in Africa in the country of Burundi. Um, One of the sites uh, on Wikipedia says that uh, Burundi is the poorest country in the world. Another one's uh, report says it's one of the five poorest countries of the world. But we were there on two Sundays, and this is what we noted. When they had an offering on their Sunday morning services, they had two baskets. And everyone came forward during the offering, everyone. And if they had something to give, they, and most of them had nothing or very little, they opened their hand and dropped it into the basket. If they had nothing to give, because that week they hadn't sold any chickens, there weren't any eggs. They hadn't yet got to deliver uh, lumber to a site. There's nothing that they got paid for. They still came up, put their hands in, and opened it up as a way of saying, God, I offer you myself. And if anything comes in this week, I offer that to you as well. Everybody. Whether they had anything at that moment in their life or they didn't, offered themselves to God. In a few moments, Donna's going to call for the offering. But we're not passing it among you this morning. We're inviting all of you to come forward. And if you happen to have your estimate of giving card for, for 2010, it would be wonderful to put it in a basket. If you happen to have your offering for this week, it would be wonderful to put it in a basket. But if you have neither with you, and you can find the back of a card or an envelope or something to write on, bring that. Tell God what you intend to do. Maybe there's a call that you're supposed to make. Maybe there's a loving action that you know God's leading you to take. There's an intention you have to do something with what God has given you. Then bring that. At the 830 service, I didn't bring a card. I didn't bring a check. I brought a note that a little girl had left up here in the church in the, the week since last Sunday. Something she wanted to give to God. I put it in there for her. Every one of us has something we can give. And when Donna calls for the offering in a few moments, I hope that you will do that.